0: But this morning, man, we are super duper excited. Those of you who have been with us for the last couple weeks, um, you know that we've been preaching a message that has been um, an unusual message, um, especially coming from the church. Um, It's been a series entitled um, Restoration versus Punishment or Punishment versus Restoration. That's it right there Restoration versus Punishment. And we talked about this thing being a heavyweight battle because the world as we know it, It always seeks to punish someone. Um, They think that the only way that you can bring forth fruit is by way of punishment. But Pastor Kevin and I, we've been preaching the last couple of weeks trying to get you to understand that uh, God's love is great. Um, God's love is great and he's greatly to be praised and he wants to have communion with us. He wants to draw close to us. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've had seasons in my life where I've actually had to punish my kids. And when I punished them, I didn't want to. I didn't want to have them close to me, right? Like I was so upset that that they did something. I was like, "Listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna punish you, and then you need to go to your room." Like, like I don't want you close to me right now. I need you to move. But the difference between us and God is His punishment isn't to punish us; it's to restore us. It's, it's to bring us into a different place, right? But the world's mindset is, I want to punish you, and if I punish you, then the next time you'll get it right. And if that was true, and if that was 100% an accurate method, then that means that we would only have one-time offenders in our prison system. I'm going to say that again. If if punishment was the only way to get a desired result, we would only have one-time offenders in our prison system. We, we, we would never have what's called a repeat offender because punishment would fix it. But often it doesn't. You, have, you find these people that are in these cycles and there's something that's broken which allows them to stay in the cycle and they, and they continue and they continue and they continue. And then they'll come across somebody that loves them enough that'll look for the broken piece and they understand that if I fix the broken piece, then I can stop the cycle. And so to, to, today I want to challenge you guys because I had a conversation with a friend this week and, and it hurt my heart. It, it literally, it, it grieved me because their, their perspective of the God that I serve, right, their, their perspective was different from this perspective that I have towards the God that I serve. Their, their perspective, and, and this message is for two people. This, this message is for a people who um are struggling with uh, God as a boogeyman. And and, and then this message is for the people who are serving as boogeymen. Because I need you to understand something. The God that we serve is not a boogeyman. I'm going to repeat it. He's not a boogeyman. And so I had this conversation with this young lady and she said, you know, Pastor D, I, 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 I need to talk to you. And I, I reached out to her. I said, what's wrong? And she said, man, I, I feel like I'm in, in this place where that God is so angry at me. And, and, and because of all the mistakes that I've made, there's no way in the world that, 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 that God's love um, can surround me because I've been so bad. And it grieved me. It grieved me because the mindset of a person like that, their perspective of God is that of the boogeyman. That when you do something wrong, his only job is to come and punish you. His only job is to come and scare you. His his only job is to come and wreak havoc towards you. And that was her perspective of a loving God. That that was her perspective of a God who sent his son to hang out on Calvary's cross, went through a crooked trial, had power to save himself, and when he was challenged about his power and his authority, and they said, if you are who you really say you are, then then why won't you come down from the cross? But because he's not a boogeyman and, and he's a loving God, he stayed there. Not because he couldn't get down. I want you to get this. Not because he couldn't get down, but because he loved us so much that there was no way we could ever get it right. And so he said, I'll bear the punishment. So he stayed there. He hung, bled, and died. But then he knew the rest of the story because he knew that if he did it, then on the third day, his father would allow him to get up and he would get up with all power in his hand. And then we would have an opportunity that if we ever turned our hearts towards him, that he would put us back in right relationship. That's a loving God. And so this morning, I, I want to go to John chapter number three, verse number 16. A familiar passage. Somebody said my favorite verse. A simple verse, profound verse, a verse that we we, we learned in Bible school as a kid. Grandmother may have taught it to you. But I I, want to use for a subject, if I can, for a few minutes, because this message is really um, some bookends, right? This this message is bookends for a bookshelf. We've been talking about that. And so I want to put a bookend right here. So we can hold this series together. But if God gives us more revelations, we'll slot the book in and add some more to it. Right. But I think it's important that in order for us to really understand restoration and, and how God wants us to restore people, we have to first look at this thing from the standpoint of an EMS worker or a first responder. So I, I preached last a couple of weeks ago and I talked about it from the, the perspective of being in the courtroom. But today, I, I, I know Leslie's back there, and Leanne's right there, and Chris Eifert's somewhere. Like, when you're up here, guys, you can't see anything unless you got light shining on you. But, but all of these individuals are first responders. They're first responders. And so I want to read John 3.16, and my prayer is that you will hear me read this, and you will realize that God is the ultimate first responder. This is the New Living Translation. It reads like this. It says, for God so loved the world. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. I'm going to say that again. Not to judge the world but to save the world. Through him. And so for a subject, for a few minutes, I, I, I want to speak from this thought of the subject, let love arrive first. When I got home late last night, my, my wife was, was in the kitchen and she was cleaning the stove. And um, the way our house sits, there were some reflections on the house back behind us. And there were uh, some red and white lights. And she said, something just happened. She said, I I want you to make sure everything is good. So I walked to the door, and I got to the door, and I saw a, a fire truck. And I was like, how cool is that, that I'm preaching a message about first responders, and I get the opportunity to see a first responder show up. Now, the thing about this is, I don't know what happened at that house, but I realized there was some form of an emergency. I want you to hear me. There was some form of an emergency, And the homeowner uh, made a call. And the call that she made, it called somebody who could fix the problem to show up. And so when you look at John 3.16, it says that God so loved the world That tells us, amen, and he didn't have to, I love English because you can infer certain things by reading the sentence. It said, for God so loved the world that he. So what that implies, Baron, is that something was wrong. Something was wrong. And because it was wrong and because he knew he had the ability to fix it, he showed up. From the fall in the garden, mankind was snatched away from eternal life, something was wrong. And the only way this could be fixed was a first responder show up. They tried it all other ways. When you walk throughout the Old Testament, they, they tried kings, they tried judges, they tried all of these things, but none of these things could fix it. But then there was a call made to heaven that said no other way that we've tried to fix this thing worked. So now we're making a call to the person who can send somebody who can fix it. Many of us right now in our lives, we have problems, trials, tribulations, situations that are going on, and we've been trying to seek a solution, but we've been calling the wrong extension. You you, you see, if you ride down the road, sometimes you'll see signs that'll say, uh, if you hit a gas line, call 411, and, and then the gas people will show up. Because they have the apparatuses and the tools to fix it, but if you have a different type of emergency, they say call 911 because this is the group that has EMS, they have police, they have fire, so whatever you need, they'll show up. The the 911 dispatcher typically asks you, uh, what, what kind of emergency is it? Because we want to make sure we send you exactly what it is that you need to fix your problem. So many of us have been sitting in our homes, in our jobs, different places in our lives, and we've been wanting a solution to show up, but we've been calling the wrong number. We, we, we've been calling some of our, uh, our, our area codes with 803 and, and, and they didn't fix it. Some of us call 704 numbers and they didn't fix it. Some of us call 864 numbers and they couldn't fix it. Some of us, we call 503s and they couldn't fix it. And you're wondering why none of this stuff is being resolved. And I'll tell you this morning, it's because you're calling the wrong number. If you want to get the right solution, you have to call the right number. I tell my kids all the time, you live in an age where if you know what to ask, you can get the answer. If you pulled out your phone right now, and I don't want you to do it right now, but if you pulled out your phone and you pulled up Google, you could get the answer to pretty much any question you ask that has an answer or that somebody think they knew the answer to. But you got to know what to ask. If you don't know what to ask, the computer can't do its job to give you the right answer. So my prayer this morning is that when you leave out of here and you look back over your life and you find every, every area of your life that you need a solution, I want you to ask yourself, have I been calling the right number? Have I been calling the right number? Well, Pastor, I mean, I'm, I'm good. I'm just a little overweight. Okay, this number can fix that too. But, but, but no, no, that's my new, no, I mean, he's called. it's called self-control. If you call the right number, God, listen, I'm struggling with this. I need you to help me. And he'll say, you remember that fruit that I gave you called self-control? <laughs> Cultivate it a little bit. It'll show up. And so, but, but, but in all seriousness, I was, I was looking at this. And I was thinking about September 11, 2001 is a day in modern history that will, will, will always be remembered where almost 3,000 people died, 2,977 um, known individuals passed away. Now we won't shine any light on the individuals that caused this tragedy, but I, I wanna shine light on a couple people um, who did something. If my, if my numbers served me correctly, I was looking at this as I was putting this message together and I was just thinking, man, that is crazy that that day 343 firefighters they ran towards trouble instead of running away. A building, two buildings was coming down a plane was uh, crashed into a, a field and another one was going another direction but 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 these people there were 353 firefighters that ran towards these situations. There were 72 law enforcement officers who ran towards trouble. They ran. They ran towards it. They knew that they had a calling. They had a purpose that says, I I, I have to try to do the best I can to fix this problem, no matter what it costs me. Don't lose John 3.16. God said I got to send my son towards this problem, no matter what it costs me. Even if it's my only begotten son, I'm going to send him towards this problem because I know he can solve it. Our perspective this morning, guys, is this. No matter how bad you've been, and I'm not excusing sin. Don't, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. God's love for you has never changed. There, there, there are some people that'll make you feel like you're so bad, you're, you're so useless, you're, you're, you're unworthy of God even turning his attention towards you because of the mistakes that you've made. But God said, I, I can fix this problem much like those first responders, and therefore I'm going to send my son towards this problem. I I don't know if you remember, but shortly thereafter, September 11th, if you saw anything about the news or you saw anything, I think it was Chris Christie in New Jersey. He was wearing a a, um, New York fire department hat. You saw countless individuals that were wearing these hats that were representing New, uh, New York police department. Everybody was unified because there were a group of people who said, I'm going to sacrifice everything that I have to fix this problem that they didn't create. And so when we look at this, we'll say, well, you might be struggling and say, okay, Pastor Robinson, what in the world does this have to do with anything? I believe that we can learn a lot from those first responders. I believe if we look at these first responders and say, okay, God, what is the message that you've called me to to receive from these individuals? I I, I would tell you the first thing is that, that you have to be willing to let love show up in every situation you arrive to. Every situation that you arrive to, your your first responsibility is to let love show up. I want you to think back over your life, and I want you to think about different situations, conversations, relationships that you've had that may be still intact, that may be destroyed. And I want want, want to ask you a personal question. I don't want you to shout the answer out, but I, I want you to have some internal reflection and ask yourself, in this situation, did I let love show up first? When, when 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 I was at odds with somebody who did me wrong, did, did I let my anger show up first? Or or, or did I let love show up? When, when when I was going through these trials and tribulations, did did, did love show up first? Or, or 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 did my anger and my jealousy and my strife, did all of this stuff show up? Because I promise you this: that if there's a relationship that you have that's been destroyed after some interaction with each other, I I can almost guarantee you either you didn't or the other person didn't let love show up first. Think about it. Think about it. Some of us have stopped talking to certain individuals because our anger showed up first because of what they did to us. You did me wrong. So therefore you say, well, pastor, listen, I was justified in that no you wasn't <laughs> you, you don't know what they did to me okay you love God yeah I love God okay you do how much you love him I love him a lot that's why I was singing this morning he's closer than my skin he's he's in the air I'm breathing in I love God a whole lot okay Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongdoing. Love is long-suffering. Love is not proud. Love does not boast itself up. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It, it, it keeps no record of wrongdoing. It, it, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures, watch this, through every situation. Now watch this. Maybe love hasn't shown up because, like Paul, he said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put childish things away. And now we see things imperfectly. Uh, like a puzzling reflection in the mirror, but then we will see everything perfectly with clarity. Listen, if if, if you want to know how much you love God, all you have to do is take a snapshot of how much you love the person that's the most irritable in your life. Because, if, 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 see, it's easy to say how much we love God. But when we want to see a visual demonstration of our love towards God, all we have to do is find our relationship with the person that's least like God and look at our interaction with him. And that'll uncover how much you really love him. Because think about it. Amy said, even when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. Talking about God's love. Even, Even when I was his adversary, even when I was doing things contrary to his will, his love was still fighting for me. And so that means that he loves me unconditionally. So therefore, if I want to be a perfect demonstration or reflection of who God is, then I have to make sure that I'm demonstrating the same kind of love towards those people who appear to be unlovable. And then we'll find out how much we really love them. And see, the reason why this is important is because in order to restore somebody, you have to get past your desire to punish somebody. You you can't move towards restoration if, if if you don't have love. See see love would allow you to go go past everything that has caused you to stop. That's what love will do. Love will cause you to keep going. And so it's important as we get ready to wrap up this series called uh, Restoration Versus Punishment, we'd be prepared to really be able to restore the people that need to be restored because I'm telling you guys, sometimes the people that are standing in the place of needing restoration are some people that some of us don't want to deal with. But you got to love them through that. Got to love them through it. Because I don't know about you, but he loved me through it. He, he, he loved me through every ounce of it. <laughs> he, he loved me. You, you know, when you you, you get in, you, you start moving towards the cross and then you stumble and you backslide, and, but, but yet then you get back up and you start going again. He, he loved me through all that stuff. Yeah, through all of that. And so it's important to understand that I can't restore anybody if I don't have the right perspective of who God is. Because the right perspective of who God is, it gives you the right perspective of how you're supposed to interact with people. I'm almost done. I'm not going to keep you too long. I I was looking at this the other day, Baron, as I was uh, putting this thing together. And somebody was like, but Pastor D, man, um, but but, but what about, because the person I was talking to, they were like, man, it seems like um, God has chastised me. It seems like God is, is always chastising me. I was like, yeah, he does that from time to time. You know, I'm going to end with the story in a few minutes, but hopefully my daughter's watching and she gives me permission. If she texts me and says, I can tell it, I'll tell it. But Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 6 through 11, it reads like this. It says, watch this, and I want to replace the word you with the word I because I want to make this personal. If I endure chastening, God deals with me as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if I are not without chastening, of which all of these become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So God, listen, God's chastisement towards you is a sign that you're his child. Think about it. He loves you so much that he chastises us. But here's the kicker. His chastisement isn't towards punishment. It's towards restoration. When God chastises you and you feel the wrath of God, you feel the chastising rod of God, it's not because he just wants to punish you. It's because he wants to restore you into a relationship where your heart's desire is that you want to do what he's called you to do, and not what your flesh wants to do. That's why he chastens you. And and it says if he doesn't chastise you, then 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 and he used some Paul used some harsh words. He said you're you're illegitimate. Jeez. He didn't just say I don't like you. He's like you're you're illegitimate. You don't even belong to me. My God. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them then respect. Shall we not much more readily be subjection to the father of the spirits and of life for they indeed uh, for our few days of chastening, even though it seems best to them, but he for your our profit that we may be partakers in his holiness. Now, I know that's wordy. I want you to go back and read it but I want to break it down for you. It just said that it's towards your restoration. That's basically what all that verbiage meant. He chastises you because he wants you to be more like him, more like him. And in order for you to be more like him, and if you have a child, you you, you know those days when um, Jeff, you got your baby sitting beside you. So I know you remember this, or well, maybe your baby's perfect and you didn't have to do this, but my kids, Lord have mercy. I used to have to look at him sometime, Scott, and say, listen, this is about to hurt me more (laughs) (laughs) than it's going to hurt you, (laughs) because I really don't want to do this, but I understand that if I don't do it, the consequences are far greater, and he's saying, listen, guys, I want to do this because I want you to be back closer to this holiness, that we're talking about. I I want you to be a perfect demonstration of who I am because when you're walking in the holiness of God and the the person of God and the spirit of God, he'll put you in situations where you you get to demonstrate the acts of God. I want you to hear that again. When you're walking in the holiness of God, when you're walking in the spirit of God, when you're walking in the fruits of God, he'll put you in situations where you get to demonstrate the acts of God. And if your heart's not right, then the acts that you should demonstrate, your flesh will overrule it. When you're in a right relationship with God and you're walking the way that you should, and you see somebody that needs to have an encounter with God, the only way you can demonstrate that encounter with God is if you're closer to God, because if not, your flesh will look at somebody on the side of the road that needs somebody to stop and you'll keep going. But the closer you are to God, you're like, you know what? I got to stop. You'll see somebody in need and you'll say, I can't pass by. I I, got to do everything that that God would do in this situation. But the only way you can demonstrate that type of lifestyle is if your lifestyle is closer to a lifestyle that represents God. That's why the Bible tells us that every morning we get up, we're supposed to crucify our flesh. Because if your flesh gets to rule the day that things will work out different. I was had a situation happen the other day where I was at work, and those of you that I'm bivocational, so literally when I leave here, I got to go home, grab my book bag, kiss the wife, kiss the kids, and head to work from 12 to 11. And so it was a Sunday. She hadn't texted me yet, so maybe she's not watching, so I'm going to tell it. And, and here's the reason why. This is the reason why. Because I need you to understand a visual example that you can put yourself in to see how the power of God works when restoration happens. So I was at work, and my wife called me. And if anybody got daughters, teenage daughters, in the same house, Lord have mercy. Some of y'all shaking y'all heads like, yeah. And it's even scarier when the mamas are shaking their heads like, yeah. I'm at work and I'm working and my wife calls me. And, and, and I'm, most men, ladies, I'm going to say this and this isn't in my notes, but most ladies, men are problem solvers. So when you call us to talk about a problem, you need to state a disclaimer because our minds are automatically in problem solver mode. So if you don't want a solution as a disclaimer, say, I don't want a solution. I just want to speak my piece and I just need you to listen. Because if you don't do that, we're going to hear the problem, automatically start to process a solution and then start to act. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm at work, and my wife calls me, and she says, man, me and Mackenzie, we're button heads. And if anybody's ever had a college-age teenage girl that's been out and got a little bit of freedom, this complicates it even more. And so I, she calls me, and she's like, Lord, have mercy. You know, and I'm already in problem solving more, like, okay. I'm analyzing, like, what's the problem? they are having a disagreement, okay? Not just one disagreement, but it's ongoing, okay? Keep going. Well, she's just not listening. I asked her to do this, and she's just not listening. I, you know, and I'm like, okay, all right. So we pay tuition. She has a dorm room two hours away. Right now, she's at home. We're in the same house. So the solution is separation. Amen. Because S- if you separate them, no conflict. So I work, get off at 11 o'clock. I told my wife, I said, tell her I have her bags packed. So... Get off at 11. Mind you, I had just got up at 7 because I had church that day. So got up at 7, came to church. We had church, got off, went to work. Now it's 11. So I've been up for a really, really long time. And so I'm kind of irritable. So have your bags packed. So when I show up, she's sitting on the couch and she has her bags packed. I brew me some coffee. So, all right, you got your bags packed? Let's go. Go where? You going to school, darling. Because if you stay in here, it's going to continue to be conflict. So I'm taking you back to that dorm room that I pay for. (laughs) Might as well be there if I'm paying for it, right? So we take her to school. We drive two hours. So now it's about 2 o'clock in the morning. She doesn't say a word to me the whole ride. We get out. My wife was like, "You want me to help her take?" Her? I said, "Cause if you can help her take her bags, we could have resolved the problem without driving two hours." <laughs> so I'm gonna take her bags in. So I take her bags in, and my my daughter loves me. So we're we're I'm actually going down there tomorrow. We're having dinner tomorrow night. Um. But we take her bags in and she doesn't really say anything. And I gave her a hug and I said, listen to me. I'm not punishing you. I forgot a part of the story. She has her own car that she usually has down there. So she could have drove her car there, but I kept her car. So I took her back to school without a car. I gave her a hug. I said, listen, you know I love you, right? Even though she was mad, she said, yeah. I said, you know that I would not do anything whatsoever to hurt you. But what I know is this. In order for you to be the best that you can be, we had to change the environment. So I brought you to school. You're here by yourself. You have your space, no roommates. You can reflect on everything that transpired. You can own up to what you possibly did wrong. You can reflect on how you responded. We'll try this thing again. Then I drove two hours back home. So I got home about 4 o'clock in the morning. I had to go back to work the next morning at 12. But it was so important to me that I demonstrated the love of a father, no matter what it cost me, to get the results that were needed because I want you to hear me. I had a conversation with a friend a couple months prior to my daughter going to the same school. He said this. He said, D, let's walk outside. We're at the barbershop. And me and we have conversation at the barbershop. So, so if somebody said, let's walk outside the barbershop, <laughs> it's, it's serious. He said, listen. He said, man, I don't know what's gotten into my daughter. He said, I took her to school. We gave her a car. Same school, y'all. I gave her a car, and it's like she lost her mind. She came home. She's constantly at odds with her mama. She's not doing what she needs to do in school. Her grade point average is at a point where it's affecting her uh, financial aid, so she can't go back to school. She has a boyfriend who's doing all kind of crazy stuff, driving the car that I gave her to drive to school. He came to my house, and he had the audacity to walk in and not even speak He's like, you know what, she's not going back to school. She's going to have to try this thing back over from the beginning. So now his daughter is back taking local classes. And there's nothing wrong with local classes. Don't get me wrong. But I want you to look at the two dynamics. There had to be an intervention. Had the intervention happened in that other situation a little bit earlier, maybe it would have got the same results. But it didn't. And that's what he was left with. My daughter called me the other day, and I asked her, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm in my room, and I'm I'm just about done. She said, I'm in my room. I said, you're not going anywhere today? She's like, no. I was like, where's your friend? She said, one of them mad at me. I said, why? She said, because she wanted me to take her to Columbia so that she could catch a ride and go somewhere else. But I told her, there's nowhere in the world I'm messing this thing up again. And she told me, she said, Daddy, I learned my lesson. I learned. And it took that type of punishment for me to see it, that type of chastisement for me to get it. But I've learned. So what I'm saying is this. There's some of you guys who may feel like God has been chastising you and it seems like he won't let up. Every time you try to do something, it seems like it won't work. You're trying to... to, to turn over another page and it seems like everything is still just falling apart and you feel like God is just like on you, on you, on you. It's because he wants to redirect you. It has nothing to do with him punishing you. He wants to get your attention so that you can get what he has for you. And He'll do it at whatever it costs. So as a father, in John 3, 16, it said he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Regardless of what the cost was, he was willing to pay it. He was willing to pay it. So what I want to challenge you with is this. As you go through life and you go into these situations, I want you to ask yourself, did I let love show up? When Jesus was at the well with the woman who was caught in adultery, he didn't punish her. He said, love showed up. The only way that situation could have worked out the way it did was if love showed up. He said, go and sin no more. That was a demonstration of his love. The blind man on the side of the road, when they, the disciples asked, who sinned, this man or his, his parents? He said, neither one of them. This is for my glory to be shown. That was when love showed up. So every situation that you find yourself going into, Let love be the driving force. It may be tough sometimes, but if love shows up first, I promise you, you're going to get the desired result that God intended for you to get because that's what love does. And whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what love does. He wants to restore you. He wants to make you whole. I was listening to a song, simple song, Chris Tomlin's song, that says, Good, Good Father. That's what he is. He's a good father. He's that good. He said, I've heard a thousand stories of what they said you're like. But then I heard a tender whisper. And the thing about the tender whisper is this. He was talking directly to that person. So he got a firsthand encounter of who God was. So my prayer is this. That whatever your perspective of God and how you perceive God to be. Let it be a perception of love because I promise you that if you look at this thing from the standpoint that God loves me and you move in your life in such a way that God loves you, my daughter told me, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess this up. So when you know that God loves you, your mindset changes. Your mindset changes so for the next few minutes i want you just bow your heads and just think about how much your father loves you